so often I was able to hide tears from people. I was able to pretend things were okay, but I was standing over the stove and I was cooking, I thought, but then I just started noticing like this sizzle on the burner and I realized it was just my tears coming down. And my husband looked up at me and he's like, what's wrong? And I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. This is the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, where we do exactly what it says on the tin. We talk straight about mental health. We try to break the stigma and we try to open up conversations with people that perhaps wouldn't generally have conversations around mental health. This week on the podcast, we are talking to author and mental health advocate, Rocky Callen, or Rocky Callen, because I, pres- I presume it's probably going to be Rocky Callen, and I'm just butchered. Uh, instead of going full Irish with Rocky Callan, <laughs> sounds like a, a traveler boxer <laughs> that'll be <laughs> getting the head boxed off in a in a closed off, I don't know, steel pit or something, <laughs> or I don't know, wherever wherever to do those kind of things. <laughs> so Ms. Rocky Callan, I presume that that sounds a little bit more, bit more Latin. We'll She's going to be talking yours. to us about her. Sorry, we'll stick with yours. We'll stick with that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's going to be talking to Rocky's going to be talking to us about her book, A Breath Too Late, and she's going to be talking about experience of being an immigrant in America. Uh, she's a first generation. Her parents were Ecuadorian, are Ecuadorian rather, and moved to the States. So she's going to be talking about that and her own experiences of mental health. After all of that, my name is Alan Clark. I am a psychotherapist with a degree in counseling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. I use some of my own clinical experience and that knowledge from being a psychotherapist to try to open up those conversations around mental health. I don't do that on my own. I bring in my right-hand man who literally shares 23 of my chromosomes, Cameron Clark, (laughs) my eldest son. Cameron, how are you doing? Hello. Hello. I'm doing all right. It's been a... What do you do, Cameron? I'm a journalist student. That that's about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Final I year. I don't have all the the fancy titles you have. You haven't got a BSEH or an MSc no. to go after your name. No, not quite. No, Bachelor of Science and a Master of Science. Yeah, I don't quite have that. I I was a bachelor for fucking most of that four years. I was single for four and a half years. But you are <laughs> old, so I've got. That I am you. old. Thanks. Thanks, Cameron. Oh, got yeah. that on you. Yeah. Wow. Cheers for that. <laughs> you spared no fucking time getting getting a dig in anyway, did you? Ah, uh, it has to be. You might as well get off to a good start. Start <laughs> as you mean to go on. Isn't that how that saying goes? Start as you mean to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you took that and ran with it. And <laughs> what episode were you on? Was it 20-something? What 21 was the social something. dilemma that we first... 21, yeah. Yeah, you took it. You took it and ran with that. Hmm. Uh, when it was myself and Peter and you jumped on and two of you... Jumped on me. Well, it's working now, isn't it? Now I'm taking over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you definitely picked up the baton. Picking on the poor old autistic man. Jesus Christ, that car dog. It manages to come out every week. <laughs> I'm just, just saying, like, do you feel, do you feel really good about it? I really hope the listeners are sitting at home and every time you pull out their car, like, oh, for fuck's sake, this little cry little baby It should be again. a drinking game. <laughs> to play a drinking game, every time it gets mentioned that Alan didn't, didn't shit the bed, Every time Alan says he's autistic, every time you slag me for being old, there needs to be a drinking game that we get going for, for all the listeners. Jesus Christ, they wouldn't make it through the rest of the episode. 
you're trying to get our <laughs> listenership down. And everyone is a fucking alcoholic. So. Yeah, don't do that. No, if you're listening, we, Let, yeah, we, best not. We don't need, do that we, because... we need to listener numbers. Just yeah. please stick around we to the end of the episode. <laughs> we don't. We don't need listeners dying off of uh, alcohol poisoning. No, that might um might kill our ratings a little bit. <laughs> So, as I said, this week we have Rocky Callen on our book, Mental Health Advocate. Last week we had Mark from How's Your Head. What's your take on that one, Cam? I think ourselves and Mark are very much in the same boat mm. in our goals. Mm. Except Mark puts a little bit more money into it, particularly well, when it he comes also to... Gets, the, yeah. He gets money back. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> that's, why he can, yeah. that's why he can put the money in. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, actually, if you want to go that way, we're actually better than Mark because we just put all the money out. Yeah. We don't. With no income. We don't know. We make fuck all of this yeah. podcast. <laughs> we make yeah, hard so, work. You know, That's about it. He gives he gives ten percent of all his profits to mental health charities. Fair play to Mark. We give all of our money to nothing to, <laughs> to giving people free mental health mm-hmm. information. So you know, I'm not I'm not saying our halo shines brighter, but you know. Our halo shines brighter, I think. Speaking of Mark's donations, while we're on the topic of it, he reached 26,000 donated wow. to mental health charities since he started. What When did he start? The beginning of lockdown, I think he said. Lockdown, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah not, not bad going for 18 months. Yeah, fair play, Mark. Well done. For anyone that hasn't checked out the episode, Mark is the founder of How's Your Head Clothing, H-U-H, and donates not 10% of all profits, but 10% of all sales. To mental health charities, and we had a had a good chat with Mark last week. Um, could it have easily have called that episode OCD? Yeah, Mark, Mark shared his own, his shared his own experience of obsessive compulsive disorder as he was growing up, brought on by the fear of the tiger kidnappings in Ireland during the the Celtic Tiger years when everyone was making loads of money. Mark did a really good job of kind of discussing the everyday struggle with OCD. He didn't go into the extremes on. Mm. You know, the, the good days or the bad days. He just kind of talked about what was like to have it every day. The mm. little things that for most people, it probably wouldn't seem like much, but for like some marketing, I was struggling with OCD. It can be really, it can ruin your day. Yeah, he made the, he made the great point that um, for people that say they like the, the TV on an even volume number, he's like, that's like just pretty you know, disrespectful of people that actually have OCD. Yeah. Or yeah, it was like, called, oh, yeah. I make my house clean. I'm so OCD. That's not OCD. Yeah, I think he also did a good job of discussing mental health and football. Not American football, not English football, not soccer. We're talking about the GAA, the Gaelic Athletic Association the for Gaelic football. Mark, the yeah, Mark grew up in in the GA locker rooms of thirty people, and the GA have this kind of promotion where they promote you know healthy living, good mental health you know, be together as a unit and all that. And then Mark discussed Mm. how when you're actually in there, it's not really like that. How nobody in the locker room really discusses their own mental health, which inspired him to make his own jerseys, Mm. his own GAA jerseys, but they're mental health themed. Yeah, yeah. So he literally puts his money where his mouth is, you know, and I'm glad, and we touched on it as well, because, uh, well, I suppose as a precursor to my own Royal of World Mental Health Day, how everyone jumps on the mental health bandwagon to be seen to be doing something mm. rather than doing it actually doing anything yeah oh let's put up a poster oh we're fucking brilliant there's the number of samaritan lads you know we're fucking uh we're great here now that's our that's our yearly good deed done yeah back to not discussing it for another 364 days yeah that, that tweet i put up <laughs> got a got a good few likes yeah. and, and retweets see you next year lads 
it was nice to have his on on the board of the bandwagon for that day. Yeah, so it was nice to have someone on that does the same thing we do, but for 365 days a year. Yeah, yeah, we do we do it all year round. We're here, still here. Speaking of retweets, if you'd like to get us on the Twitter, you can hit us up at STMH Podcast, Straight Talking Mental Health, STMH Podcast. That's the same as our website, www.stmhpodcast. And if you want to email us, you can do that at hello at STMH Podcast. You can also hit us up on Facebook and Instagram. You'll get us there on Straight Talking Mental Health. Big day, big, big, well, big week with the on the social media side of things, Cam. Yeah, so for the listeners, this is take two of recording <laughs> because we had a lot of fucking giving away the secrets. We had a lot of technical difficulties the first time around, and it got so yeah. bad to the point where we were honestly better off re-recording this because yeah. the amount of ed- time it would have took to edit it would have been so much longer than just redoing what we're doing now. Yeah, we had technical difficulties in dodgy Northern Ireland broadband yeah. connections, and it was literally quicker to. So that was Thursday morning literally quicker to re-record as it is now on Sunday night as it is that all the podcast has to be edited <laughs> tonight. <Yeah. laughs> um, so to re-record and just edit straight through then to deal with the technical difficulties yeah. that we had of going, are you gone? Yeah. Can you hear me? No, he's gone. I'm gone. And we knew. We, we knew gone. straight away. No, I was gone. No, I was here. You were gone. Yeah. <laughs> we knew straight away as well. Before we even got into our interview with, with Rocky, we sat there mm. like, we're, we're going to have to redo this. It's just it's too yeah. it's too much work for you to have to try and edit this fucking pile of shit. Well, well, I get the heavy one out of the way, or go with the lighter ones. Get the heavy one out. Of yeah, the way, get the, yeah. We'll we'll talk. We'll discuss the heavy one, and then we'll move into the more lighthearted yeah. ones. We'll cheer yeah. people up. Yeah. So we did we did have an email. The title of the email is self harm. Hi. Before I say anything, if you read this out to anyone, don't mention my email or my name. We most certainly will not. I want to say that I've been through self harm and feel like people don't fully understand. I don't think to do so we do need to do a topic on that to me at least it never hurt I would cut my skin off and feel ecstasy the more I cut the better it felt I didn't get any help for it till I realized I was running out of skin to cut and that made me more mad than the fact that I was doing it I then realized wow I have a problem the thing was I'd been doing it from age 12 to 20 and not and not hiding it I just lied through my teeth everyone believed me I fell I burned myself a kid hit me it was always a lie, some really stupid ones that I don't know how people believe too. I had tried to stop my own for a year before I told my parents, only to realise I couldn't. Even now I struggle with the constant memory of how good it felt, but knowing how to feel again and denying myself that. Thus I stayed in this constant state of nothing for days, knowing I could wake up but I refused to do that. I have, a hand, I have held a handful of ice till completely melted and lost all feeling in my hand and not walking up so I feel stuck. It's very That's heavy. A big one. That's a heavy one. I think anytime you hear the word self-harm, you kind of just have to prepare yourself. Mm. I don't think we have. I know we've had a few guests on that have spoken about it. I don't know if we've we've never went in depth, no. Standalone topic on it, no. no. So if that that listener would like to come on or anyone else, any of our other listeners would like to come on and we'll we'll cover that in depth as, as a topic. And obviously the best way to do that is with someone's, with someone's experience. And all we can do is and I hope for you that it does get better and you find yeah. the help you need. Absolutely. Yeah. And please do seek help if, if it has gotten to the point where it's more compulsion and you're and you're not able to stop, then uh, I think I've I, I think I know I have touched on it before of you know, find a why. Why why is this person cutting? Why? You know, what's what's going on in their life that's that's made this a behaviour that they've 
that I've started acting upon. So really hope that that listener can can get the help required and hopefully find themselves in a in a better place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Actually, do you know what you have you you can you can call out the LinkedIn one because you had someone you had someone add you on LinkedIn specifically to tag you. Yeah. So I haven't used LinkedIn in a long time, so I'm not. Me uh, neither. So I haven't been getting a lot of uh, connections because I haven't been looking for them. So as mm-hmm. soon as I got a connection, I kind of realized, well, somebody invited me to connect. I kind of realized there was something, a little bit of miss. So mm. Aaron Warall, I'm going to assume that's how it's, how it's pronounced. Could be butchering Warall, it. Warall, isn't it? What, it could be Warall either. W-O-R-R-A-L-L. <laughs> bit yeah. of a tough one, but I think I'm pronouncing <laughs> it right. Aaron put a post on LinkedIn and tagged me in it. Also attempted to tag you and Peter, but didn't work for some reason. Aaron said, mm. there's a huge stigma still around the topic of mental health. When we are in lockdown and now still, it has become a massive topic among many of us. I want to take the time to educate myself in this field, not necessarily for myself, but maybe for that person who works for me, who I work with, a friend or even a family member. The work has been put in by Alan Clark, Peter Dunn and Cameron Clark in brackets. Sorry, Alan and Peter, it won't let me tag you. Is nothing short of incredible. This podcast is utterly hilarious, serious and educational at the same time. So if you read this, take the time to give this a listen. If it's not for you, do it for someone else. It's hard to hear how frustrated the guys get by the lack of return on social media, but LinkedIn is probably one of the best places for this to be shared. So here is my bit. Thank you, Aaron. That's that's really, you know, that, that's a lot. Like, you know, someone takes the time to write that out and make that effort like that's Well, to find me, first of all, on, on LinkedIn yeah. of all places. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. never use that. Yeah, to find me on LinkedIn and then to put up a whole post about the podcast is it really is great. As as disheartening mm-hmm. as the lack of return, like you mentioned, can be it. It does help when people go out of their way to mention us. Yeah, I mean that's they're they're the ones that go. All right, thanks for that. That fucking <laughs> that, that means a lot. Yeah, like, no, it really know, does. But, yeah, so we are very very grateful for Aaron taking the time to write that, and for for everyone else that that takes the time to put up such a gushing a gushing post about us. Aaron because. did also mention that it took him 72 episodes to finally realise what we were saying. <laughs> Which, believe it or not, is not the only mention of our accents this week. <laughs> Very true. Huge shout out to, to Paul. Paul that we've had on and uh, has always been one of our biggest supporters. We had Paul on telling his own mental health uh, story as well. Paul had put us up. Not even did he put us up, but he, you know, he he, he did a whole graphic. Took the time to he took the time to create a graphic. Yeah, very nice graphic too. It's like a little jigsaw yeah. puzzle. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So Paul put up on his Instagram. This has been a great help to my own mental health in terms of the podcast. These guys over in Ireland started this weekly podcast in May 2020, and have gathered momentum while talking openly about mental health, covering various topics and helping to break the stigma of mental health. They don't skate around subjects, and they talk straight about suicide, anxiety, depression, therapy, CBT, loneliness, bereavement, and many, many other topics that we found that we find it difficult to discuss. And they do it with humour and a good bit of crack. Search them out on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or here on Insta. They're great to listen to while you're walking, working, driving, exercising, or just relaxing. That was from Paul. Paul, thank Paul for that. As always, a pleasure to promote you guys. You help so many people, including me, keep the great content coming. And then Lorna uh, had commented on <laughs> on Paul's post of, uh, I've been using the link you sent me. I, sorry, I've been using the link you sent me of them. The accent helps 
relax. It's great. <laughs> Never once heard an Irish accent been called relaxing before. I know, yeah. Not particularly, not mine anyway, nor yours, Bogger, Port Arlington, no. and flat Midlands. But you know, Paul I'll take it. No, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But the, the accent goes down really well. It's it's like um what did I say? I was having a I was having a conversation with someone before about the podcast and it's like how's it going? I was like, Oh look, it's going good, but it's just slow and you know, it gets uh, it gets disheartening and stuff like that. And what did he say? He said uh, I said like I said our biggest our biggest listenership was in the UK. Like, you know, we, we just we've kind of moved out of Ireland and, and the other countries have, have taken off. And he said a prophet is never appreciated in his own town. And I was like, All right, I'll take That's that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, we would just spread our wings further afield and um... fuck the patriotism. <laughs> yeah. Fuck all you Irish motherfuckers. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no, we we really <laughs> need the listeners. Please don't abandon us. Yeah, no, not the UK have just overtook Ireland and and continued to do so. So that's that's great. And Ireland is second, and the United States is third. So a huge thanks to everyone that appreciates the the accent. Paul had replied to that comment. I had them on while cycling to work this morning. I love the chat at the beginning. There you go, Cameron. Really makes me laugh. Great banter between them. So thank you. Thank you to Paul and to and to Lorna for taking the time to comment on the Instagram. Straight talking mental health. And we had some great feedback. So I'll let you, you know what, Cameron, I'll, I'll let you do it. You you stepped in. We had a we had a post put up. P actually put it up because he checks the he checks the charts. He has access to that information. And people might have seen during the week that we had reached number 11 of all mental health podcasts on mental health in Ireland. So that's not just Irish podcasts. That's of all the podcasts listened to around the world on mental health. We are currently number 11 in, in Ireland. We're doing well. That's pretty good. Yeah. I think we're doing uh, We've only got 10 more spots to go now, as I mentioned. 10 more. But you know, the best part of that, and I, I put it up on my own retweet on Twitter of that all of that is 100% independent. Yeah. No media support. We've never, we've sent, I've sent out press releases, stuff like that. Not once. We've never, never been picked up. No one in the media has ever mentioned us. We've never got any kind of influence or sharing us or anything like that. That is all totally 100% organic. I have to admit, I prefer a little bit of nepotism. <laughs> I prefer for it to be someone we know, give it as a fucking good share or put us in touch with the right person. Uh, because as everyone in Ireland knows, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, we clearly don't fucking know. We anything. don't know the right people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that, that was a nice experience. That that felt good. Well, Lindsay, Lindsay had commented on Instagram. I enjoyed listening to this. Oh, that was in regards to Mark's episode, the HUH, mm. the How's Your Head. Enjoyed listening to this. Currently trying to decide what color hoodie you want. There you go. Fair play, Lindsay. Yeah, we got, we got a lot of comments on the mental health rankings post and there's actually mm. so many of them there that if we were to rifle through them the episode would be far longer than we need so yeah, we're just yeah. we're just so we're, we're gonna thank everybody that that did congratulate us and yeah absolutely and please keep sharing yeah. and please keep uh you know posting and commenting because that's the kind of stuff that gets us up the rankings keep listening if you can go onto iTunes, give a five star review. You know that's that's yeah. all the stuff that really like helps just us just for get up a there. bit of insight. We went up thirty four spots this week. Last week we went up one hundred and sixty eight mm. spots, which I believe Peter mentioned was <laughs> one of the biggest jumps ever. Yeah. So we we yeah. flew up, and that's because people are sharing the podcast, and it's the only way it's going to go that's up. Thanks. Absolutely, yeah. As it is a hundred percent organic, so we are totally reliant on that. 
Mr. David Butler, myself and Peter's old band manager back in our rapping days, he put up a, a tweet. Well, he retweeted that. Fair play to Alan and Peter. I'm way behind. You obviously are because you didn't mention Cameron, Dave. <laughs> so uh, get the fucking finger yeah, up. When you're you've, off got, you've got a bit of catching and, up to do. Um, illustrating, illustrating different books along the way. Uh, I'm way behind this podcast series, but it's just fantastic. Different subject each week. So pick and choose if you want. Don't pick and choose. Listen to them all, Dave. Shut the fuck up. Some oh, this is a terrible endorsement. Case studies. Yeah, like that. What's fucking? That's a pure Irish compliment. <laughs> totally fucking backhanded. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, this is brilliant. But like, yeah, don't listen to it all. Yeah, you can like, you only have to listen to some of it. Like, it's, all, it's grand. Like, ah, look, sure, it's not the worst. <laughs> it fucking pulled out with that. Like, got us all going with the fucking with the with the foreplay, and then just left us with blue balls. <laughs> fucking bad form, Dave. Well, look, I think it was well intentioned. It's still the share. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. Not a great share, but still a share. You can't, yeah. <laughs> we'll take it. Well, he's not going to fucking listen to this anyway, is he? Because he's way behind. So. <laughs> he'll, he'll hear it in about <laughs> six months. He can say what we want about. Yeah, six months to get text going, hey, what the fuck are you saying about me? <laughs> I was like, well, where you fucking been there? Won't even know what's going on. You can find Dave on Twitter and uh, etc. as anything artist, A-N-I-T-I-N-G-H artist Dave is an illustrator. He's illustrated a couple of books and he has a new book coming out, which I'm still not totally sure what it's about it'll be historical to some context because he signed with mario corrigan who is a local historian here in galair so i think peter had that as a smile many many months ago when dave had put up of signing the signing the contract on the new book mm. so thanks sort of dave i suppose in the same way that you bigged us up sort of <laughs> <laughs> on the twitter yeah prick <laughs> So you know the Twitter, STMH Podcast, website, stmhpodcast.com, Facebook and Instagram, Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, and email hello at stmhpodcast.com. So before we get into all of that, and well, we've got into all of that, before we get into the next bit of stuff, which is we are smiles and royals, let's have a little check-in of what's been going on with us during the week. Cameron, what's been occurring? Oh, what's occurring? Just me, Gavin and Stacey. Welch. I do like Gavin oh, and Stacey. Did you like that? Oh, I fucking love Gavin and Stacey, man. It's brilliant. Mm. It's been a busy week. Serious. It's been a really busy week, even kind of by the last couple of weeks standards. Just college oh, and work. Yeah, ramped up even again. Yeah, which I was. I'm only three weeks back into college and I'm already kind of getting smashed. <laughs> Not drunk, as I would like to be. Smashed at work. <laughs> would you though? Yeah, I like being I like being a college student on nights out sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been kind of getting your drank on. kind of getting smashed around with work over the past week or so. So that on top of actually attending college and having a job, and then this mm. has uh, put quite the pile on this week. And then I bring the car for the NCT, which I will get into later. He smiles and rides. Don't want to don't want to give it up too soon. Leave a little teaser there. <laughs> oh, what a professional! Yeah, so it's just it's been been a bit hectic, but I'm I'm managing. Mm. And what about you? That's the hook. Uh, what's been going on with me? Well, apart from fucking getting sick in my sleep, vomiting in my sleep the other night, went to bed, asleep, woke up to a feeling of about to vomit, was able to stop it coming out of my mouth as I tried to find another avenue <laughs> and it, it tried for that to be my nose. So I woke up, pitch black in the room, you know, you'd fucking wake up, you're discombobulated, didn't know where the fuck I was, and just like, just run, just run, just run, just run. It's like waking so up from a nap, a nap that lasts too long. Don't know what planet yeah, you're on. Yeah. yeah, don't know what year yeah. it is. Um, so I'd had that, just ran out to the bathroom, and I'd 
suppressed it, but you know, you get that fucking bile and acid that oh, just yeah. burns sits there the back of your throat and, and my nostrils. So I was looking it up. Um I I woke up, I checked my phone, I was awake then and Ashling Ashling had texted me and I replied to her at something like half one. She's like, What are you doing awake? Because I'm never awake at that time. Um so bit of research, acid reflux just from Eating too late, I just literally ate and went, just went straight. You're to gonna bed. have to get that baby it. food that's meant for babies with reflux. You big <laughs> fucking child. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. Your, your sympathies. You and fucking Dave should get on the best there. <laughs> well, I know. He's down to, I know. He's down to poor Darren as well, so he's gonna fucking get together. You pair of dick. I know not to eat food just before you go to bed because it's fucking. Ah, yeah, but the fucking working. I was working late, and I just like, oh, I'm fucked. I just have something to eat. And then just popped straight into bed. It was a mistake. And I learned from it. I won't do it again for another while. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Until the next time where you're tired and hungry coming home from work. <laughs> yeah. So that's that was going on. Oh, no. So, that's, so that was up to Thursday. What's going on? Now? Ashling's birthday then since. Oh, yeah. <laughs> since, oh, yeah. We, did, since we didn't talk one. about this since the, uh, take one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we knew new information. So it was her birthday on Friday. I need to wish her a very happy birthday. Well, I did wish her a very happy birthday, but... On air, I suppose. Brought her to Belfast for her birthday. Like, oh, she's fucking, she's as bad as me, like, because you can't buy her anything. Because anything she wants, she just gets it herself. Mm. So I already had to give her, I bought her a necklace. I already had to give her that two weeks ago because she was going to buy it herself. I was like, don't. Here, fucking take it. <laughs> <laughs> Wear it when we go out for dinner. Uh, so I got her that and her perfume and makeup and stuff like that. And I was like, but well, she knows everything I'm getting her. So she has, um, so she has her two older children. She has her name tattooed on the name on the nape of her neck. I was like, so I'll get her. I get her a tattoo of her youngest child that obviously hasn't been added to the list, and is the last one <laughs> to be added to the list. Hopefully, um, so that was actually a surprise. She didn't actually figure that one out. <laughs> and when I, I was like, oh, I know what I'm gonna get her. I know what I'm gonna get her. I was like, oh, I was fucking impressed with myself. Like I was like, that's a good one because she'd mentioned it about six months ago. I was like, fucking nail it, nail it. And, and I did. Um, so we, we walked around. We walked around Belfast, spent a lot of time in Belfast. Had a meal in Belfast. Guess how that meal went, Cam? That'd be shit. It was fucking yeah, shit. You nailed it. Absolutely right. I'm not going to mention the establishment because they're fucking just amazingly five-star reviews. And Ashling has said, oh, my God, look at this. I've never seen a place so heavily, heavily reviewed. And uh, I was like, all right, I'll book it for your birthday booked for Roberta and it was absolutely fucking disappointing god it's almost like all your previous reviews of Northern Irish food <laughs> would have surprised me Dungannon. yeah I know yeah but, oh, she was so disappointed I could see when she was when she was reading the menu um, I was like oh shit and then I got mine and I was like well this is totally bland so she's like I guess I'll just get the fish and chips and she's like oh my god it's so greasy so I was like Right, we won't be coming back here then, will we? It's like, uh, no, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> so that's that's what's been going on in in my world. You know, it's interesting. Remember, I, you know, I've always said that, and I fought, I fought for this piece. I fought for this section of the podcast, the first half of it. And it was P sent me a link to a podcast around Chris Evans' breakfast show. Chris Evans used to be a huge DJ on BBC. Oh, you One. don't mean Chris um, Evans? Captain America. Captain America. No, no. Uh, radio, radio DJ. And they're just recounting stories and guests that they've had on the on the thing. This was a huge phenomenon in the 90s and noughties, I think. 
And P had sent me, goes, because he knows I like George Michael and he knows I like Prince. And I was like, I do like me, you feminine gay men, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, listen to this. Like, and it was just, they were just recounting it, but they were talking about the, the, the radio show of how people wouldn't just listen in for the guests. Like, people listened in just to hear what was going on in their life. It's like, what, as they called it, uh, the soap opera of our lives, just to know what was going on. And I think that's, I think that's what's, taken up and paul and um had mentioned it and loads of other guests have said how much they they enjoy just this bit at the start uh, everyone says it just kind of eases into the topic um and i think i think that works and i same reason i listen to a lot of podcasts just to hear what's going on you know you get you get caught up in people's lives and the the funniest part of it is myself and you are the most boring cons that have ever lived we do not <laughs> Uh, fucking hell we man. do absolutely not our we have Jeez. we live the most predictable lives ever yeah every week we come on to the here and we're like oh we did work we did this we did this and it's like yeah. the same route that's what more people and do. it's what me and you talk about we, we don't talk about it on the show we talk about kind of our own private lives that we everything we do has to be in routine and the second <laughs> we have to stray away from routine everything goes into fucking mayhem <laughs> Like if we if we can't record yeah, on Thursday, so are we? You're fucking buried. You buried it, though, man. If we can't record on like Thursday, you lure them in with their our fucking, our week is fucked. Yeah, well, that's just a narrow, yeah. the narrow recording window that we have. But you lured them in, like you lured them in with the NCT. Oh, I wonder if Cameron's car passed the NCT. And I say like, we do fuck all. No point listening. We're just boring <laughs> bastards. <laughs> all we do is work. No, that, 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 that's, <laughs> that's, 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 not, that's not the point. My point is that people still listen. <laughs> <laughs> point or not is what you fucking said. The point is people still listen, even though we never have anything to talk about. <laughs> well, that's that's what's been going on in our lives. Let's let's see if we can. This has actually been an eventful people... week for us. Yeah, let's see if people share. Our smiles or our royals? What have you got for me? I've got I've got a a small royal, a little royal, I suppose I could call it. An SR. Yeah, or an LR, depending on which way you want to go. An LR. I thought it was... Uh, well, you've got your BS. You've got your SS. Yeah. Your BS. I think, you, I think you've also made reference to... Or the other day, you made reference to an MS, a medium smile. Yeah, that, no, that, 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 was, that was in take smile. one. Nobody's going to... Nobody's going to yeah. know about that one. Yeah, the MS, that, that, not multiple sclerosis, that, that's, as you upset everyone with the SS last week. That's in a parallel universe. Nobody else knows about <laughs> that one. <laughs> Barry Allen is going to fucking upset the timeline, <laughs> and that's actually going to end up going out in another universe, or two. <laughs> but uh, my small royal, my little royal, yeah. whatever, way, whatever you How'd want you to call it, is my NCT. Yeah. So for mm. all the excitement that's been building up for the last 13 minutes, I know there's been drum rolls in the background. <laughs> My car fails the NCT. Well, let's let's tell everyone around the world what the NCT is. So the NCT is the national car test, which a car, once it's over four years, has to go in every two years, yeah. is it? and then it goes down every year and stuff like that. You have to send it in, it gets tested, and then... For road safety. The NCT. Road safety, basically. It's a huge fucking money-making yeah. racket. As is most Unless, things in Ireland. Unless, if your car isn't in that, within that four-year bracket, typically your car is going to fail. Yeah. it's yeah. It, It'd be very lucky for your car to pass, and it'd always fail you on something really small. But it just needed to go back mm. and give them more money. So, mm. the day before my NCT, I was checking everything, checking all, you know, the small lights, like the, the registration mm. plate light, because they fail everybody on that. Yeah. As I was checking these lights my high beam on the left side went as these lights were on. So I had the lights on for about five minutes just while I was checking everything. Went, went back to it in the car and I noticed the left side was real dim. Went over and checked and it was gone. 
It's like, ah. So, for any Opel Corsa drivers, you will know to change a bulb, <laughs> you have to take off a tire for whichever side it's the on camera. and take off the front of the car to change your bulb. So, this was at seven o'clock at night. Not a job I can do, given that I'm not a mechanic and actually I'm very poor with car manufacturing. <laughs> there was no garages open, so I had to come to the conclusion oh, car maintenance or that. <laughs> Yeah, when not making them. Well, if I knew how to make them, I could probably fix it. <laughs> but I came to the realisation that my car is not going to pass the NCT. So I brought it to the NCT, knowing it was going to fail. Mm-hmm. And he checked the lights outside the garage before he brought it in because the garage was full and it was still dark. It was very early. And as predicted, the high beam did not come on. So he <laughs> drove it into the garage. He Then while I sat outside with my poor old grandmother... In the cold, bid. Bid. in the in the cold, because you're not allowed to sit in the waiting room due to a pandemic that I'm not sure if you know about. <laughs> so we sat outside for 20 minutes. He came out to me. The high beam was on. So that was a quite the shock to me. The high beam was it on. Had been off. It had been off. It had not been working. He drove out. The high beam was on. And he came over to me and said, I had a very weird thing with your car. I was like, is it by any chance the high beam coming back on? He was like, yeah, it was. He said. It wasn't on when I checked the first, and then when I lifted the car, it just popped back on. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, I passed. I did not pass. I no. failed. <laughs> there was a, a coil spring in the front of my car had to be replaced, which isn't a big job, mm. but it is something that I couldn't go back the same day. So it means I have to rebook mm. a test. Retest. Yeah, so I had to drive home, bring it to my garage. He changed the, he changed all that for me, but now I have to get a retest. Pain so, in the hole. Wasn't, see, that's why it's not a big road, because it wasn't a big change. Not really. You weren't really expecting to pass. No. Do what most people do. Just put it in. Yeah. Knowing that's going to fail. Say what they, stay, say what it fails on, and then just fix yeah. that. And then if there's anything else wrong with it, you don't have to get it fixed. Because during the retest, yeah. they only check and see what you failed on. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to drive there. They're going to open the bonnet of my car. They're going to see that that spring is new. And then I'm going to be free to go. Mm. Uh, hopefully, hopefully on the retest it'll be all right. So that's your that's your smile of any other right or sorry, that's your royal. I've got a big royal. Uh, a BR. Yeah, and believe it or not, this will be the third time we have said this royal. <laughs> <laughs> Due once again mm-hmm. to technical difficulties. But yeah. anyone inside of Ireland will probably know what I'm about to say. Anyone outside of Ireland, you're probably going to get quite upset as I was. But at the start of September, we were promised that October 22nd, which is next Friday. Friday. Yeah, fr- yeah so Friday coming. Mm. That the country would essentially be COVID free, meaning that in almost every scenario, we will not have to follow any guidelines. So except for the likes of pharmacies, medical centers and supermarkets or shopping centers, yeah. shopping centers you won't so have to wear a mask. So outside of those few places, you can walk around breathing lovely fresh air. Mm. and you can go to nightclubs, you can go to restaurants without having to book a table. You can go to a pub whenever you like. You can walk in whenever you like. I'd imagine at some stage they're going. the pubs are going to go back to their normal hours of, you know, late. Mm. And over the past week or so, our lovely Taoiseach has said it's very unlikely that that's going to happen due to a rising number of cases. Now, Neffet which I actually can't remember what it stands for, so I'm going to find that out really quick. What was it? National Public Health. National Public Health Emergency Team. 
So well, I got half. Essentially, Neffed are the COVID nineteen advisors for the country. They advise the government on what steps we should take, and the government can then decide to take them or not. They have said that they don't think extreme measures need to be taken, and that it just needs to be a case of people still need to follow some rules, but should mm-hmm. be able to live their lives. The government are still yet to decide on whether they're going to take on that advice, and we won't know until the day this podcast releases. Oh, it's not. We won't know until then. That's you. Well, they usually come out on a Tuesday, so I'd imagine yeah. we'll be waiting until then. Yeah, Matt. Look, the fucking numbers are going up, um, and what two thirds of it is unvaccinated people. So um, the reality no, it's of more, it is, it's is way more than two thirds. Is yeah, it? I of the seventy-two that were in ICU the other day, I think it was sixty-five were unvaccinated. Fuck so I think I think dude. you probably saw sixty out of seventy. Rather than sixty-seven percent. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Um, but the reality of it is, is anyone that hasn't been vaccinated by now isn't going to get vaccinated. Isn't going to be. They're not going it's, to do it's it. Like. By their own choice now. It's not from. It's not due to any yeah. extenuating circumstance. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, we can be pissed off at the government, but they're doing it in response or in reaction to the the numbers going up. Mm-hmm. The numbers are based on. ICU availability beds and stuff like that, and uh, it's quite it's quite depressing and distressing. So let's wait and see. I'm not fucking holding my breath. I think a lot of people are going to be very pissed off, and I'm going to share that right of you. Yeah, I would imagine so. Mm. You got a smile for me. I, I can counter, but only with one smile. Ah, so take it. we're we'll a take little it. we're a little bit off balance. I think I had my work <laughs> placement sorted thanks to oh yeah thanks to our lovely co-founder Peter. Who has been <laughs> a little bit of nepotism? <laughs> all that, all that nepotism. Can't get it for the fucking podcast, well, but we can uh, do it to get you an internship. My whole, my whole career is going to be based on nepotism <laughs> and who I know. So I'm just getting a head <laughs> yeah. start. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks right. to our co-founder, he hopefully has hooked me up. Mm. So well, let's see if that's going to be a, a, a BS next week or a or a BR. Yeah, it, could, it could it could go the other way. <laughs> but we're, we're remaining hopeful. It could be on here next week on fucking Peter Dunn. Not worth a because fuck. after the week I've had, I. I, I need the I need the BS next week. You, you, you need a win. You need a <laughs> you need win. Need the BS. So that's your smiles and royals. That's me smiles and royals. Do you want to throw it over to yourself? I'll throw it over to myself. Well, I had me me one of my royals was getting sick. Uh, one of your other royals, the bad Northern Irish food. Nah, is that even, fucking is, move beyond is that. Is that even a royal? That anymore? doesn't even royal me anymore. No, it's just not even this anymore. Is a constant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that doesn't even fuck. That's how bad it is. It doesn't even factor <laughs> on the fucking <laughs> come into the equation. Um, this is probably a me. Yeah, it's probably an, an an MR or a fucking BR. So we are currently recording it as we record now. It is eight o'clock on Sunday night. We get contacted by a lot of publicists and stuff like that, and um, for people, authors, stuff like that. Come on, flog their book. They don't just get to flog their book. They have to tell the story and stuff like that. But we're always, oh, we've got a great guest for you. Blah blah blah. We were contacted about having a certain guest on, uh, and because of America and the time difference, couldn't make it work. And this was going on for weeks, and we were offering times. They can't make it then. We couldn't make it any other time. So I got to the point where I said, okay, I'll do it on my own next Sunday, which would have been last Sunday, as we record, exactly at this time. So I'm online at 8 o'clock. No sign, 10 past, quarter past, 20 past. I'm like, the fucking, despite all of my fucking emails advising them of, daylight savings time because many of our US guests mix up the time and they end up being an hour late so I waited online nothing it's like okay they've obviously mixed up the time nine o'clock nothing 
10 past 9, nothing. Quarter past 20 past, nothing. I'm like, fuck this shit. No show. Um, and then I'd contact the publicist. Oh, I don't know what happened there. And then one of their team came back and said, oh, sorry, we couldn't make that work. Uh, can we reschedule? And I didn't even reply. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a petty bastard. Response. I don't even think that's I'm, petty. Uh, I, th- I think I think I think it's fucking totally yeah. petty. Like, no, I, it's I, totally unprofessional. I think it's well, it's also unprofessional to not show up and not respond. Well, that, until, you'd have to say that was a little bit more unprofessional. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's yeah. a justification level somewhere in there. Yeah, but we we talk. Like, we've got that narrow window, and you know, twice the two times I've gone outside of that, we've been let down because there was another mm-hmm. time. On a fucking bank holiday Monday, and luckily I had, I had because uh, I said to you, I was like, we may have to do two. Yeah, I got a, I got a banker <laughs> we in. We did do two, and we did. Well, yeah, we did. And we, then, well, know, we, we did happen. the second yeah. one, and that person hasn't been on either. So, yeah. uh, just it's extremely unprofessional, and you know, my, I value my time over my money. Yeah, we we cannot. I have a lot less time how narrow our schedules are every week, particularly with me being back to college. It's gotten mm. even smaller. Before I was in college, we had a couple of days during the week we could work with. You know, if we didn't make the Thursday, we could figure it out. Now, yeah. if we don't make it on the Thursday, we can't figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, so that's me. That's me medium, right? Uh, that fucking really pissed me that's, off. That's only a medium, just... right? Because we've said it about 15 mm-hmm. times. Yeah. it was a big royal to begin with but see it's good to talk yeah. <laughs> it's diffused this, this is the best promotion for therapy that it's ever gotten yeah. it's good to talk yeah so that was me that was me uh me medium royal uh me smiles nah, nah, was nice to get out for that uh me royal touched on a little bit mental health day world mental health day bandwagon it was actually me royal last year so i'm not even getting into it again we touched on it last week with mark People jumping on the bandwagon. Me BR. And this is a fucking BR. So I was heading up to Essing for her birthday. I wanted to get as much time with her as I could. And um, she texted me. Her son had to take a COVID test. His friend uh, he heard he may have been in close contact. So I was like, well, how did that happen? So uh, his friend in school had it. But it turns out his sister had it. Parents sent the child to fucking school regardless and never informed the school. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, thus, Ashling's son had to be tested. That thankfully came back negative. But, I get up to Ashling, and she's like, she had a bit of a cough. And total miscommunication on our behalf. I was like, have you got a cough? Just out of curiosity. She took it as me asking, have you got the fucking Rona? Uh, she did a test. Little bit of a spat between us as well. I can't go near you until you get the negative test because I'm trying to look after myself. So, the fucking negligence of those parents who knowingly sent their child to school when their do- when his sister had had COVID, sent him into school with COVID and has been outside of school, out of school with fucking COVID. So, just what are you doing? Like, we are 18 months into this pandemic. 18, a year and a half. Yeah. Since the start of the pandemic, it has been the exact same rules for those who are close contacts or those who have tested positive to inform everybody around you and to not go anywhere else. We are 18 months since these rules were announced and people are still not following the rules. That's fucking mind boggling, man. 
Absolutely mind-boggling. So that's just a knock-on effect of someone just being fucking negligent. And that's the impact on my relationship <laughs> as a result. Uh, because you couldn't fucking keep your child home or inform the school that he has COVID. That is what the universe calls the butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah. When a butterfly lands on a um, rhino and kills a deer, that's how that happens. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'll have to go out on a little smile because they're, they're two big rhymes. <laughs> we'll sort out James's room. Oh, there's a new TV in your room, by you the way. You be. Don't watch yeah, it. you got a smart TV. Yeah. Don't watch it, but that, that's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, you got a smart, you got a smart TV in here. So I was up sorting out James's room, and uh, came across Lego, Lego Harry Potter. It's the house with the flying car from uh, Harry Potter. I was like, "Oh, we forgot to, we forgot to make this." And he looks at me, goes, "Oh, dude, you're doing that on your own." <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I fucking broke me bollocks laughing when he said it to me. So that was me. That was my first smile with James this evening. And uh, so I'm going through the TV. He goes, what's on? I said, well, everything, Spotify, you know, Netflix, blah, blah, blah. I was setting everything up. Great. Scan a QR code. Fucking logs into your Netflix and all that sort of stuff. I was like, this QR is great. codes are the greatest goes, things ever. Yeah. He said, does I have YouTube? I scroll along. It has YouTube. And he goes, oh, my. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. For, uh, for all the listeners who have never heard my dear brother speak. <laughs> He has a very, he's a five year old. He has a very North Dublin accent. <laughs> no, South Dublin, man. That's that's talent. That's even worse. He's yeah, a very yeah. South Dublin accent. <laughs> Nobody from Dublin at all has ever said "Oh my." Yeah, I don't. I don't know where he got it from. But I fucking burst out laughing, and there was a few times he said it there this evening. I was like, I don't know where he got it from, but this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to I had to end on me I had to end on a smile because <laughs> because of, of those royals. And with all of that being said, let's hand over to Rocky. So this week on the podcast, we are talking to Rocky Callan, author and mental health advocate. And she is joining us very early in the morning from where in the world, Rocky? I'm outside of Washington, D.C. Yeah, we have a bit of a time difference. So you're, you're up early. <laughs> you, you know, you, we like you. You put the effort in to come on the show. <laughs> you, of just course. to talk about people that didn't show. <laughs> Rocky, before we get into the book and everything else, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bit of background of who you are. Absolutely. So like you covered, I'm an author and mental health advocate. Uh, I started advocating to Congress when I was a preteen. And so advocacy is in my blood. I live outside Washington. Yeah, I was... Nothing better to do. (laughs) I know. What are you doing better? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Um, And I live with my husband, my daughter, my son, right outside Washington, D.C. And as a mental health advocate, I also, because of the novel I wrote, A Breath Too Late, founded a project called hold on to hope which unites creatives in suicide prevention go back to that preteen what 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 prompted you at that age rocky to 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 do such a thing and and what what did you do yeah so i am the daughter of uh ecuadorian immigrants and so issues around immigration has always been very important to me and my family and i've also seen grew up seeing so many injustices around immigration. And so I think I was 12 years old when I started advocating for, um, the first thing I advocated for at a state level was 
for bilingual services in court. And so I entered this, um, this room and just started speaking in Spanish to our representatives. And then I said, now imagine that you're in a courtroom and your future is on the line. And mm -hmm. that bill passed. <laughs> and then after that, wow. I continued to work on immigration issues. Um, I also was really passionate about bringing those issues to the mainstream. Um, I was surrounded by people who had no idea about the injustices that, that were occurring towards immigrants, documented and undocumented alike. And so I took it upon myself to really focus on inclusion and awareness while advocating. And that just continued. I got my bachelor's degree in communication and political science and was just a fierce advocate really around those issues. But it started to transition towards mental health as I also was going through my own mental health journey and becoming very aware of my own struggles. Not that I wasn't aware before, but it was more that I decided or was forced to face the things that I was hiding for so long. Before we get into that, obviously that's that's going to be a huge chunk. Mm -hmm. But um, why the advocacy of that? I mean, had you witnessed something? You know, was it something in your family? Was it something close to home that that resonated with you? That that you took that upon yourself at, at that young age? Yeah. So you know, we. I'm very fortunate to live in a very diverse community. Um, I've always lived in very diverse communities. However, whenever I step like took a step outside of that community, we saw the racial slurs that, you know, my father was, um, pin, like he was an entrepreneur, but he was so fiercely judged and, and was flung racial slurs, even though he had been in this country for so long. And then also as I was a part of these communities, I saw, you know, young women who had been assaulted, but were undocumented. And so were too scared to come forward. I saw people who were just phenomenal leaders in their community, but their immigration status was on the line. And I just saw over and over and over again, how there were these people that so desperately needed to be seen in my own family and beyond that weren't, whether it was within the community or whether it was systemically. And so I wanted to address that because I feel like we're all, we all deserve these basic rights and these basic basic access to services so that way mm. we can lead full and fulfilling lives. How, how long have you been in Washington for roughly? Um, I've been around here. So I live in Maryland, right outside of Washington, DC um, for the entirety of my life. But there are stints where I lived in Alaska when I was little and Hawaii when I was little and then Ecuador um, when I was 10 mm -hmm. for a year. Um, when we were living with family there, but this has always been home base. So, so mm -hmm. the issues with with the racism and the immigration is something you would have noticed in Washington more so than anywhere else. 
Honestly, I think it would have been anywhere. I think that when you get to areas that are less diverse than here, it is even more blatant. Mm. Um, I was just having a conversation yesterday, and this is what's sad around racial injustice. I was having a conversation just uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, where she was talking about her son, who is biracial, played football in the same field that there were Klan rallies still to this day. And so it continues, it continues and it's, and it's rampant. And I think that it's time that we expose it for what it is and for where it is. And the only way to do that is through tenacious action. And so I'm actually very lucky to be in such a diverse area. I think I would not have, um, I think I'm better armed to face it, but there are people who are so isolated out in different parts of this country that don't have the mm. support access or accessibility for getting their issues heard. And I think that that's changing. And of course there are people always on the ground doing the work that needs to be done, but it is something that we need more of. And how, how were you affected as someone who's lived, who was raised in an outside country? How has that affected you mentally coming into a country where racism is very prevalent? Well, for me, I was born here and then we went to Ecuador for a period of time and then we came back. But I think part of it is I, I recommend travel to anyone who can. Um, part of it was that you see from the U.S. perspective, looking outwards, that there is such a, a feeling of, like, we're the only one that exists, right? Like, we're the only ones, like, that's the only perspective that matters. And yet, when you travel broadly, you see these thriving communities and these beautiful countries and these beautiful cultures and for me, it's pretty much like, how dare we, you know, and I didn't have that perspective personally, but I was surrounded people that had that perspective. And, and so I think that for me, it's, it more, instead of like being a culture shock or um, something that I became newly aware of, it just anchored me more in the pride of who I am and where I come from. And and it just, it fueled my desire to make sure that these communities were seen. We had um, Ashley Franz Powell on a few months ago and she was talking, we were talking that topic around Black Lives Matter. And she was mm. actually in Washington as well. Mm. And she said, you know, where she grew up was like, or where she was, it was pretty okay. You know, that, that you know, racially, it's, it's okay. But once you went out, you know, further afield. That's when you notice it. That's mm-hmm. that's when it hit you. Yeah. Um, and we were we were quite shocked when she spoke about sundown towns. I don't know if you're if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So basically, sundown town is you know these kind of rural places. If you're black, get the fuck out of Dodge before the right. sun goes down. Oh yes, yes. You're looking you're looking for a bit of trouble. And you know you're here telling us about well they're here where can rallies still mm-hmm. go on. Exactly right, and is. It's always so shocking, right? The the ugliness mm. that exists in humanity is so shocking. And and then I mean then there's places like this podcast and elsewhere where we're talking also about 
the beauty and hope that exists in this, in, in our humanity. And so there is such duality in that, but I think as we mm-hmm. continue on, we need to lean closer and closer into that hope, but only with that hope, can we, can we expel the, the pain and the shame and the darkness and all just like having mental health conversations, race conversations around race, the only way to enact change is by breaking the silence around it and by passing the mic to the people with the lived experiences to lead charge and to support an allyship. So it is, there's so many issues that require so much attention. And I actually think that the pandemic, because there was so much isolation in the last you know, since the beginning of 2020, it really started to shed light on a mainstream way because all of these issues are very much daily lived experiences for the people that are going through them, that are affected and impacted by them. But this brought it to the mainstream at such a big level, at least within our country. And I think that it's our job to not forget, to not pretend that like mental health day is like a day on the calendar or that black lives matter is just, you know, a a time of, of condensed protests within a specific time period. These are tenacious issues. So we have to react tenaciously. Rocky, I'm I'm not sure if you know who, do you know Charlie D'Amelio? No. So Charlie D'Amelio is the most famous person on TikTok. She's only a younger, I think she's 17 or 18. But when the Black Lives Matter so went that famous, because neither of us have heard of her. <laughs> yeah, but you're, yeah, but you're old. <laughs> yeah. so you don't know her. Uh, Rocky, you're a parent, so <laughs> I'm getting there. Okay. Yeah, we but have our, when, we have our finger firmly off the pulse. <laughs> when when George Floyd was killed, there was in an attempt to raise awareness on TikTok, the bigger creators changed their logo to the Black Lives Matter symbol, the Black Fist raised. And to this day, Charlie D'Amelio still has that as her profile picture and it's a profile picture on all her social media. And the comments under her more recent posts are disgusting because it's people telling her to take the profile picture down mm-hmm. because that time of protest has passed. They said that it's not, it's not a thing anymore. Right. And her reply to it is that, well, this, this, this is an ongoing thing. And she says, until this is ended, it's going to continue to go on and it's going exactly. to continue to my profile picture. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing is I think that people don't like to be, don't like to be uncomfortable. They don't like discomfort. And so they don't like seeing things that make them uncomfortable. And yet it's only by putting pressure on the system and forcing that discomfort that we can emerge into a new sustained way of living. And just like any behavioral change, it requires time and it requires consistent effort. And so absolutely things like that are just these persistent reminders that more change is necessary. Mm -hmm. We hear Black Lives Matter. You are Latina. Mm -hmm. Rocky, is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. We don't hear a lot about brown lives or, you know, that kind of gets forgotten about. You know, racism doesn't stop around a certain skin tone. You know, just once you oh black, dark brown, light brown, and then you're fine. Mm. You know, there's there's a big spectrum within that of 
of people who also experience this this racism and you know as your as your parents went i mean your your first first generation mm-hmm. yes what what was that experience like for them versus you who you know you grew up you know you grew up in the states no one no one is going to know otherwise that that mm-hmm. you're that you're not you know just right. your standard american so what what was that experience like for from your point of view versus their point of view I always say, because I'm not only um, first generation, but I'm also white passing. So it makes it also mm. straddling a line. And for me, I, fi- I have said that white passing um, minorities need to be, one, aware of their privilege. And two, they have to be on the front lines. Because what happens is people assume you are a safe person because of what you look like to spout their racism in front of. I remember being at an immigration, one of the biggest immigration rallies in D.C. um, around the DREAM Act, and it was just this beautiful, massive outpouring on... um, the Capitol. And I remember being on the Metro, the packed Metro home and sitting next to my then boyfriend, now husband, um, who's a Mexican immigrant. And this white person next to me spouted some racial slurs to me thinking that I was safe for that. And (laughs) they weren't fucking safe. And so that's a part of it is that we have to recognize that we have access to spaces, to rooms, to conversations that brown people generally wouldn't have. And so we have to be an advocate in those rooms. And we also have to acknowledge that our experience is colored and is shaped by the pain our community has faced. So Right now, I'm a daughter of an Ecuadorian immigrant. I'm the wife of a Mexican immigrant. And I see it. I see these things play out every day. And it enrages me. (laughs) It enrages me and it hurts me. And there's colorism even within community. Um, Mm -hmm. So like Afro-Latinas are horribly targeted. I remember I'm a part of, um, a Latina, uh, authors group, the, uh, authors organization. And we had to come out publicly with a stance of, we will not, we, especially because there was like a member that was starting to say, um, anti-black statements. And we're like, we do not, we will not accept this. And I think the more times that we say this is not acceptable and we do not accept it, the more that people will be sort of shaken awake to saying, oh, wait, this thing that I have thought or said or done previously that no one has stood against is now being stood against. And so I need to change. I need to wake up. I need to listen. I need to lean in closer. I need to understand why this is wrong. And a lot of times people don't even recognize that something is wrong, which is in itself horrifying. But the more exposure we have, the better it is. And 
So yes, I feel like I'm part spy (laughs) as well as, you know, advocate. And I also have to straddle the line personally because, you know, I was not, you know, sort of white enough to be in white groups and not Latina looking enough to be in Latino groups. And so there's that also this, this piece of identity that I've straddled. I remember I did an internship at NPR when I was a teenager and I did a poem about that, um, on air about being a white passing Latina, but how my skin did not show all of the experience and the pain and the beauty of my culture, but it was there. It was dancing. It was thriving. It was bursting. And so I think that whenever we look at any issue, anything, we have to look at the intersectionality of that in our experience, because otherwise it's not, it's it's not honest. So I think the more that people talk about these issues, black, brown, another piece too in the United States, there was horrific Asian discrimination and prejudice that emerged after the pandemic. You know, it again, always existed. However, this like amplified it in such terrible and treacherous ways. And it is this whole community, all of these different communities that are targeted for different reasons that there should be no place for it. You know, we are humans on this planet. We all bring such diverse and beautiful perspective. And the only way to honor that is by being aware of that beauty. And so, so often people focus on terrible rumors, terrible prejudice, terrible perceptions that is circulated by people that have no or little exposure. Rocky, you mentioned being kind of stuck in the middle between the the groups of white people and the groups of Latina people. How did that affect you mentally, not quite fitting into either demographic? It It must have been tough for you. It was, I think, especially earlier on, um, in my teenage years, but I sort of just flung myself because I was so active in my advocacy for my community and for these communities Mm -hmm. that I felt I anchored myself in. So I just needed to learn. And I think this is a good lesson for all of us in terms of anything as I needed to learn that just because someone else doesn't see me for who I am, doesn't mean I don't have to see me for who I am. And so I feel like I was able to hold on to that and feel, feel sustained by that. And I was especially, I've always been very vocal, you know, I've always been very vocal about um, where I come from and my family. And even now um, with my husband and his family, there's just, there's pride, there's pride there. And so I, it's, it's allowing myself to be proud and, and be active. And so that, that is, it, it is a part of what I went through as, especially I think a teenager, but now it's integrated into like, this is who I am and mm. I am proud. For all of our listeners, as as Rocky talks about white passing, Rocky could very well be any Irish girl 
albeit at the height of summer, <laughs> with a bit of a tan. Because <laughs> we go from like transparent white to pink and during the summer. We, we go a little bit darker than pink. And blue eyes, you know, absolutely no one would no one would suspect you of being anything other than than white. And you know, so you, as you say, you are that spy on the inside. Yes, and you know the other thing too here is um, I've always had very dark, very long hair, and I didn't cut it or change it for years because I felt like this was my identifying marker, like this Latina hair. Um, Point to the hair. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of you guys. <laughs> like this goes past my hips. Like we're, you know, like here we are. Um, but it's, uh, but right now I, I actually recently bleached my hair and so the top is this blonde and so there's a there was this part of me that was like oh no (laughs) my one thing um but I I also will say I will also say this that growing up I had a very much the Selena J-Lo body in the you know 90s early 2000s where it was not a popular body type and it was very much a Latina body type. And so especially when mm. I was surrounded by communities that weren't Latina, I was very much shamed for the body I have. And so I feel a little bit validated now where in the U.S. that body type is so celebrated and and um, and acknowledged. Isn't that, amazing? Isn't that amazing though, Rocky, that cultural shift? And yeah. I don't know if it's all down to Jennifer Lopez. You know, mm-hmm. everyone talks about, oh, we got that J-Lo booty. Mm-hmm. But as you say, you're, you're coming from that that Latina, that body type. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, now it's a problem. But it's like, oh, hang on a second. Oh, now that's what we want. Right. Now everyone wants wants that figure. Right. It's it's so always that, shifting. It's always changing. Mm-hmm. But I what I do, my sister is very, um, uh, uh, is a, major activist um but she also is at the forefront of the body positivity movement and it's just beautiful for me for someone who struggled so much with my body image that to see the celebration of all bodies and i just i love that my my daughter and that my son are are going to grow up my daughter's 12 and my son is 3 that they're going to grow up in this in this new world perspective, and I hope that it it sustains and maintains that all bodies are beautiful, and we need to celebrate them. Like we move in the world in this body, and we need to honor it. Rocky, before we get into the mental health side, there is something else I want to touch on because it's something I want to bring people's awareness to. I think it was a previous rile of mine on the show. You, you spoke about immigration, you spoke about campaigning for translators and courtrooms and stuff like this. I mean, this this was the Immigration Nation documentary, if, mm, if people haven't seen it. Yeah. It was absolutely fucking infuriating. Yeah. I mm-hmm. have never, I, actually I can feel my eyes water, I can feel myself welling up here as I think about it. That was so infuriating and so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm of the experience of immigrants in America under, under the Trump administration mm-hmm. and uh, the ICE, the uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Basically, just go in, bang, you're gone. You, what about my family? Tough shit. You're out of here. Uh, I mean, that, yes. I mean, my husband and I watched that, and I remember I feel, I feel feeling this just – I was seized with – 
with one memory and also so much anger, but also just profuse tears. I mean, I remember yeah. um, for my own family situation. I'm nearly crying. I'm nearly crying, and that, that's not my world, you know? Because all just of thinking it's, of remembering it. It's because you see people dehumanized who are stripped of their humanity. And, and you know, my family is a mix of documented and undocumented. So I know very much all sides of that. And so I remember, I remember being afraid of the raids. You know, I remember being afraid of, because I knew that that could impact someone I love. And I remember feeling afraid for the separation of family. Um, right now we're actually working on my husband's immigration case and it's been 10 years working on that immigration case. And so people do not understand the fight that is required one, just to be here, but two, to stay here. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's so, devastating to know what people have run from in their home countries to then come to a place. And this is the thing is this is documented and undocumented to come to a place where they are dehumanized. Once again, I also did work in the um, bringing goods and services and supplies to the migrant fields in the United States, these migrant fields where Immigrants are packed into trailers with their like with families upon families within trailers in scorching heat with no AC. And I remember them holding mass every evening because that was their anchor. That was their way to Mm -hmm. say we're a community and we're here, you know, after grueling, grueling hours of work. And to imagine that an outside organization had to come to these working migrant fields where, you know, all of America gets their, their produce and be provided basic services. Exactly. And so, you know, uh, there's, it's very, it's so tragic to see the, the anti-immigration stance that we see within our, you know, with our, our Congress representation, but also within our communities. It's something that we have constantly battled and people just do not understand. People do not understand. And I was, was so like struck sick by the immigration nation just because we were looking at some of our own family experiences on the screen and it was just so painful. It was mm-hmm. so painful to face. And I hope that more people see that. I hope more people yeah. reach into their own capacity for empathy and understanding and, and find that, you know, we're one human family and no one deserves to be dehumanized or diminished. We are all meant to be here to support each other in community and solidarity. Yeah, I just I wanted to bring that point in because mm-hmm. I think everybody needs to see that documentary. Yeah. I don't care if you got Netflix, illegally download it. I don't give a fuck. You just need to watch it because it's it's absolutely it's harrowing, it's infuriating, it's heartbreaking. It's it's so many other words I can't even come up with at the minute. I wanted to get that side out of it, Rocky. Mm-hmm. Now I want to get into the book. So I'll let you take the lead on the book. You can tell us about the book mm-hmm. and what led to the book, or you can tell us about 
how it started, and then the book. So where do you Absolutely. want to go? Absolutely. So I will start with the book. What happened was I have struggled with suicidal ideation throughout my whole life. I was very, and what's difficult is very few people knew because I was able to mask my own depression so well. And I also was always very ambitious and driven, you know, from a very young age. Um, I interned at NASA. I interned at NPR. I did the, you know, congressional outreach. Full stop there. <laughs> interned at NASA. <laughs> yes, at 12. What age were you when you interned at NASA? I was 12. Um, I was 12 years old, and then I am. Uh, interned at NPR for with a student um, urban journalism project, incredible program. Um, when I was fourteen and fifteen, is that is that a common thing there, Rocky? To intern so young because over here you don't typically do an internship as, until you're. As Cameron yeah, is I'm trying not. to get an internship at the minute <laughs> as a journalist, <laughs> he's a little bit older than twelve, thirteen, fourteen. No, it's, it's, it isn't common. It isn't common. Um, one was when we got back from Ecuador, um, I started, my mom started homeschooling me. And so she essentially thrust me into, like, I was always like the 12, 13, 14 year old amidst the 17, 18, 19, 20 year old. I was always like the baby. Mm -hmm. So even with college, uh, I graduated and entered college at 16 and so again, I was like the baby in these, in these places, but I was also very, very passionate. I also like to stay busy and part of staying busy, I think was, it was a distraction of, of things that happen were happening in my family. There were distractions from things that were happening within my mind. And so with the book, I led a very productive life and I was also always very like hopeful optimistic passionate like that's what people saw um mm -hmm. but I struggled a lot with suicidal ideation and depression and I even it was something that even from my own husband was he didn't understand the extent of it until within the last few years and but it started where I wrote this flash fiction piece that I posted on World Suicide Prevention Day, and it was from the perspective of someone who had followed through with that suicidal ideation and was then like struck with the regret of it. And I posted that online, and someone commented, just like, Oh, is this going to be a book? And I had this vehement reaction of, no, it's not going to be a book. But the reluctance was really based from fear that I would have to go all in and face this reality of mine. And it became this almost desperate, urgent thing that I could not avoid. And so I wrote that book and that is what became a breath too late. And as I was writing the book, I, the first draft of it, I wrote in just over a week, which is not typical for me. I'm a very slow writer. Um, and it was because the writing, the writing of it just, 
tore out of me memories and realities that I had ignored. I had ignored the severity of my thoughts. I had ignored the experiences of my childhood. And so it just flooded the pages. And so um, after a period of time, while I was writing that book and revising the book, I realized that it was so cathartic for me to write the book as I hope it would be life-saving in the reading of the book that there are so many artists and creatives out there who one are struggling with their own mental health, but two whose arts could impact someone else to find the hope in their own life. And so I had the seedling of the idea for Hold On to Hope, which is the project that I founded, but it didn't come into fruition until during the pandemic, like truly came out into the world. And it was just such a moving moment when uh, Hold On to Hope hosted, sponsored its first art gallery um, outside of Baltimore at Okamoka. I just walking that hallway of art and seeing a dream that I had back in 2013, 2014 made real. That was the real entry or the, the, the birth of this project to the world. And since it's, it's just kept going and it's going to keep building. And right now, actually um, we have the, an international virtual mental health art exhibition um, that can be seen at holdontohope.org slash exhibition, if I'm correct. <laughs> but it features artists from around the world and it has been seen and viewed around the world. And it's just such a beautiful reminder that art moves people and that art can move us. And so that's what A Breath Too Late is for me, is that it was my piece of art that I needed to survive, but I also hope that others can lean on to survive too. Um, the author Allison McGee said that the book was a love letter and life raft to the uh, a love letter and a life raft to the brokenhearted, and I think that that is this the real heart of what I wanted the book to be. You mentioned, you know, your own depression and the suicidal ideation. Um, I, I don't know if it's correlated, Rocky. You can tell me as a, as I asked the question. Do you think that from such a young age, being such a high achiever, did that put a lot of pressure on it, pressure on you? Do you think that contributed to to those feelings? Absolutely, <laughs> and it definitely continued on in my life as well. Um, like I said, my husband didn't really. I will say that my suicidal ideation in the last less than two years, but in the last couple of years has been something that I was, I have been able to keep at bay. I mean, there's depressive episodes, but it doesn't get to that level. Whereas just before that, um, there were periods where it was difficult. There was a period of time. My stepbrother died in a, in a um, motorcycle accident and I actually gave my stepmother's eulogy at that at that funeral, and 
just a, a, a testament to how uh, one life can impact so much. The funeral was so packed with people that they were spilling out into the hallways outside. Um, but around that time I was in, I was pregnant with my son. I was doing, I was in grad school. I was already contracted for, um, my novel, A Breath Too Late from a major publisher. I was juggling a lot and there came a point where it was hard for me to speak. It was hard for me to get phone calls and text messages. My husband actually had to call people and say, just let, like, we've got her. We're going to support her. Let her have some space. Because a lot of people were used to me being able to juggle it all, me be able to give advice, me Mm -hmm. be able to be sort of um, a person to lean on. And at that point, I was crumbling. And... And even people that were in my life, in the periphery or friends, they a lot, many people didn't know what was going on. But it was at that point where I remember I was like my kids or my my daughter at that point and my husband were like playing in the living room and I was cooking. And I just felt like so often I was able to hide tears from people. I was able to pretend things were okay. But I was standing over the stove and I was cooking, I thought, but then I just started noticing like this sizzle on the burner. And I realized it was just my tears coming down. And my husband looked up at me and he's like, what's wrong? And I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. He just kept, he said it, but he didn't say it like in a pushy way or a judgy way. It was just being there. And I think that's a big thing for people who love someone with a mental health condition is just simply being there is such a mm. powerful piece of, of, of being loving. And so that's what he was for me. And I finally said this phrase that ricocheted in my head so constantly, but was so overwhelming in that moment. And it was, I hate myself. And it was just so deep and so just earth shattering for me that I just couldn't, I couldn't. And there, and at that point there was also a lot of really wonderful things happening in my life. So on the external front, people wouldn't understand, but internally I was, I was so racked by that and it took a while for me to emerge from it. But I think that part of it is, and I see it so much. I talked to um, a teen hosted podcast recently and they were saying that there's such expectation on us and there's such, there are these boxes of expectation around us and it's, overbearing. And I told them like smash the fucking box because you learning to dispel those expectations now and you being able to learn how to find fulfillment and validation in the things that make you happy now is going to save you a lifetime of pain and regret and shame. It's like, if we can look at what we love and say, this matters, we're already, we're, we're winning you know? And so I do feel like the, the pressure that I put on myself, other people didn't put on me, um, was very much, very much a source of, of my pain. But part of it is I think internally, I thought I need to be productive and successful to be deserving. 
to be worthy. And that's been something that I have been deconditioning myself, a belief that I've been trying to eradicate from my system because we all woke up worthy. We all wake up deserving Mm -hmm. of a beautiful life. And the more we can acknowledge that, I think the more we can understand that our lives are always worth fighting for, no matter how messy, how difficult, how rough they may feel or be in a moment. If, if a bright moment has ever occurred in your life, we need to remember that a bright moment can be just around the corner. And that is what I wrote into A Breath Too Late. A Breath Too Late is actually about a girl who has died by suicide and then has to face the brokenness left behind, but also the hope and the love that was reaching for her all along. And I feel like as someone with a mental health condition, and for so many people, we often forget that we are loved and we are deserving of love and that hope lives in even the darkest of places. And the more we can acknowledge that, the more we can anchor in to the idea that if we are here, that's not nothing. That's really what I want to be in the world is someone to remind each of us that our lives matter and they're worth fighting for. I think especially coming from a place of depression, Rocky, you know, there's that feeling of unworthy, that feeling of being a burden, you know, that that really is just mm-hmm. compounded so much in, in circumstances like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rocky, you mentioned <laughs> how you used to be or at once you were an anchor for all your friends, they used to lean on you. And then when your depression got bad to the point where it was overwhelming and you felt like you were going to crumble. I think a lot of people feel the same way, particularly when they are the person that their friends go to for advice and they feel like looking after, taking the time to look after themselves is selfish. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's mm-hmm. it's one of the more selfish things you can do is to look after yourself because you can't look after other people if you yourself are struggling. Mm-hmm. So we always try to advocate here that the the best thing you can do for yourself and for others is to look after your own mental health, because the better you feel, the better you can make them feel. You can be an anchor for them, but you can't hold yourself up and six or seven friends if you're struggling and barely able to hold yourself up. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the whole image of when you're in an airplane, they say to the parents, put on your oxygen mask first. Yeah. And it's because you need to be able to function. You need to be able to have your wits about you. You need to be able mm-hmm. to be solid and, and able to, to, to give from a place of, of not, of not, you know, of struggle. Um, that is actually, Cameron, exactly what I've been reinforcing my own life. The power of boundaries, the power of saying no, the power of focusing on my own mental health and self-care, the power of rest and the necessity Mm. of rest. And as someone who has been always really pressured, internally pressured to be productive, this was, and I have a beautiful friend who um, has has always been this advocate of rest and I always sort of (laughs) shoved her aside and her advice until I sort of hit that breaking point. And then I said, wait, I need to be able to be solid and sovereign in my own energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that the thing about boundaries is when you erect them, 
there will be people that don't like it because they are used to you not having them. So the erection of them are disruptive. And yet that very disruption is going to be one of the most powerful things you can do for your relationships and for yourself. And that focus on self-care because that itself too is modeling to other people like I am doing this because I'm worthy of it and I love myself, you know, and you should too. And so with all of my intimate friendships, I always, you know, we're all busy. We're all, you know, juggling a lot of things. And there's this just understanding that when you are ready, you will come to me. When you are in a place of emotional stability, you will, we will connect versus people feeling pressured, like, oh, they sent me a message, so I need to respond right away. Or like, there is not that expectation with that, with my friends group at all anymore. We all acknowledge that we know what is best for us and we will come Mm -hmm. to the table when we are ready. And that doesn't diffuse the idea that if we need each other, we will be there. But we no longer operate in this sort of shallow understanding of what friendship should be. We know that we need to take care of ourselves on our own. So that way we can be the best friend or the best sister or daughter or, you know, whoever, whatever relationships you have. And so, yes, I mean, that's so important. That's so important. We all need to be reminded that. And we also need to be actively reinforcing it because it's very easy to start something and not follow through with it. But I, I feel very lucky that um, it's something that I've been able to sustain. Yeah, I think I think two points to kind of finish on with that is, as opposed to succinctly put it, we spoke about it on the podcast, and it's something I mentioned the whole, to clients the whole time. Self-care isn't selfish. Mm-hmm. And Usually, the people that have a problem with boundaries are the people that benefited because there was no boundaries. Mm-hmm. So it is important, as you said, to set that boundary and also to hold that boundary because mm-hmm. there is there will be people that will push back against it. Absolutely, absolutely. Hold the line on your boundaries. Hold the line. <laughs> Steady. <laughs> Steady. <Hold> the line. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, imagine if all of us were able to know that our boundaries would be respected, just that fact alone, how monumental that would be within relationships and families and communities. It would be extraordinary. Rocky, just before we finish up, if you could maybe tell people where they can find out a little bit more about yourself and where they can find out a little bit more about Hold On To Hope. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, You can find me. I'm most active right now on Instagram. So you can find me at Instagram. Um, Rocky writes is my profile, but I also have rockycallen.com as my website. And then holdontohope.org is the, the project that I founded. Hold on. Number two, (laughs) hope.org. So that was Straight Talking Immigration with Rocky Callen or Rocky Callan. Probably Callen. Could be Callen. Uh, sorry, Rocky. I know I know we butchered it. <laughs> Sincerest apologies. Uh, absolutely, hugely informative and eye-opening experience of immigration, being a first-generation immigrant and a Latina. 
in the US of A. We hope you like what you heard. If you did, give us a rating. Subscribe, leave a comment, do all of that stuff. If you've got iTunes, even if you don't have iTunes, go get iTunes. Just to hit us up with five stars. Go buy an iPhone. Spend, spend 1,200 euros just to give us a review. We'll really appreciate it. You don't it. even need it. You don't even need it. Just install the app. Yeah. You can just install the iTunes app on your on your laptop or whatever. Uh, that'll be hugely appreciated. Also, I would say because Apple, Apple Podcasts is the best podcast app to use. I, I cannot I cannot stand by I, that I can attest to it. I've used some. Podcast. I've used... Spotify, and then I've used Apple Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts is infinitely better. If if we had sponsorships, this is the point where we would say there are other podcast providers out there, <laughs> but we don't. But we can say so. We, we can say what we no. like. Well, I use Spotify. Yeah. If you do use Spotify, you can follow us. You know, make sure and follow us. You can get notified when our new episodes go out. Those new episodes go up at midnight on Tuesday. Actually, they don't go. Out. They go up at twelve oh one on a Tuesday. If anyone has noticed that. So if you do that, please, if you've learned something, if you've taken something from the podcast, from the episode, if you've learned something, please do give that five-star review. It really helps us. That's what's got us up into the top 11. Who knows? Maybe we can break that top 10 with your help. If you want to hit us up on the social media channels, we've given a plug for that already. You know what to do. Straight Talk Mental Health Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, STMH Podcast on Twitter, and the website is stmhpodcast.com. The email to hit us up with your story with your feedback if you want to come on if you want a topic you'd like to have covered that's how you do it well you can sign into the dms on social media if you want or you can email us at hello at no dick pics please no dick pics no we 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 don't want them always wait to be asked that's our advice on this podcast no unsolicited dick pics always wait to be asked. unless it's to the homies that's okay to the homies the homies homies? what about the homies send dick pics to the homies no you and your homies obviously aren't very close. <laughs> no, I, I. But what do you do? Do you do, do you review them yeah. or you just get feedback? Yeah. It's a nice ego boost. This, right, this, this podcast has, has, has taken a, a turn. It's the, la- it's the Cameron, last. It's, it's the last. This where you have something to tell it's me. The last minute. Nobody's listening to this. <laughs> do you have something to tell me before we move on? No. 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 All right. Stay tuned, folks. So this might be another one of his cliffhangers. <laughs> it is car past the NTT. Does Cameron come out of the closet? <laughs> no, the boat. <laughs> yeah. Big shout out to Fiona Bryan for the podcast music. He's going to do, he, well, he does the top and tails that you hear at the start and that little bit of music that you're going to hear at the end. Peter Dunn hooked up the samples in it. The mind is a terrible thing to waste with the guru line. So shout out to P, our former host and former co-founder. He still kind of teeters away in the background every now and again. If you'd like to catch Fionn, you catch him at FOB Beats on Facebook, etc. If you're a singer, rapper, or whatever, hit him up. He's going to hook you up. That's it for this week, folks. We're going to have another great guest for you next week. As always, we're going to leave the last word with our guest, which is Rocky. She's going to share her words of wisdom with you. But in the meantime, folks, look after yourselves and look after each other. Rocky, one of the things we ask of every client that comes on is we ask them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings, some motto, some creed that they live by, something that they'd like to share with the, the people around the world and our listeners. Maybe throw over to you to maybe share something that you've taken from this life so far. The belief that I have is, that is really the heartbeat of everything is that hope lives in the dark and that no matter where we are, if we look closely, hope is there waiting. And it is a practice 
It is a tenacious practice. Another piece of that that I want to touch on and then circle back to this is there's a big difference between toxic positivity and tenacious hope and optimism. (laughs) And the difference is to me is that toxic positivity is putting a bandaid over a festering wound. Whereas tenacious optimism and tenacious hope really are willing to sit in the discomfort and face it and say, I'm here. I'm willing to move through this. I know that I have what it takes to stand and I will keep going. And that has really been in all of the difficulties in my own life and all of the pain of my own life. I am willing to be uncomfortable because I am willing to believe that I can keep going. And so I bring that optimism and that hope with me wherever I go. And I think that sometimes it's very hard to see that, to see that in that those darkest places, but it is, is aching for us to see it. And so the practice of looking for hope in our life as a daily practice, for me, I wake up every day and I say what I'm grateful for. I say what I want to create in my own life. I say how I want to feel going throughout my day. I say all of the things that I also purge, all of the negative thoughts and all of the harmful things that are you know ricocheting in my head. I put it down on paper. I'm willing to see it. And so I think that for all of us, don't be afraid of your pain because there's healing there too. Mental health. Mental health. The mind is a terrible thing to 